Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're on the fifth class on the Satipatthana Sutta, the sixth in our series on uh, jhana meditation. I think it's a about a 30-class structured study. Um, this follows Jen's excellent teaching last week on the seven factors of awakening. And remember how the Buddha taught that, that these seven factors of awakening are not something to be grasped after. We were to remain mindful of their development, that they're they're a, um, a natural development of our Dhamma practice. Again, not something to be grasped after. And there's nothing terribly special about these seven factors, except they're there to remind ourselves that they are important aspects of our Dhamma practice. Again, so that we recognize what's occurring. The Satipatthana Sutta concludes... Um, I'm getting a feedback, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You gotta turn off the, the sound. The sound on that. I, I think it's back. already down. It has to be like you don't join. Okay, it's dead. It's dead. Alright, everybody still hears me alright? Online? Mary, you hear me okay? Okay. <laughs> I can't hear you now. Say somebody say something. Hello. 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 All right, all right. Let's stop this silliness. This is serious business here. All right. Mindfulness of the Four Noble Truths. So, again, the whole point of concentration of the Dhamma is to remain mindful of these Four Noble Truths as as the framework Uh, or as our right view of how we experience our life. So the Buddha continues by saying, Furthermore, one remains mindful, we hold in mind, or recollect when appropriate. Furthermore, one remains mindful of the quality of mind in reference to the Four Noble Truths. In reference to. So the the quality of my mind is now determined by by the... level of my understanding of these four noble truths rather than something that I might acquire like getting a lot of money or a bigger house or whatever it might be the quality of my mind and so the quality of my life depends on me understanding this remain mindful of knowing that this is stress this is the origination of stress this is the cessation of stress and this is the eightfold path leading to the cessation of stress so that is just remaining mindful of the entire um, of all of the four noble truths, knowing in this moment that this doesn't, this isn't working. I'm getting this, still getting this feedback. The, I, online, are you hearing a feedback, or is it just here? I can't hear anybody. I don't hear it at all. Okay. I don't hear it. I wonder why we're getting it here. And no, it's because it's coming off the tablet. Well, how, how can we fix this? Is there... Turn it off. Because uh, I've already gotten it down to yeah. minimum. Yeah, it's still throwing it. The monitor wasn't there. Mm, I don't 
disconnect audio. Yeah. How about now, John? I don't know. How is that now? Now, now, now. <laughs> I think we got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Remain mindful, mindful, mindful. So, remain mindful of knowing that this is stress. And this is in each and every moment of our lives. But this isn't a, 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 um, a hyper-focus, a, a, an, an agitation in this moment. It's a gentle understanding of life as life occurs. This is stress, knowing that as a consequence of having a human life, stress will arise. But none of it is personal. And we're not just talking about things that we dislike. Stress is every kind of reaction in the mind, including, holy, I just won the lottery. That's an agitation in the mind. There's good aspects of it, but literally there's, there's so many stories of people that won the big one and they were broken a couple of years because their mind wasn't able to control itself with all that money in its pocket. But that's just an example of how we lose our minds over things. So <coughs> each and every moment that is rooted in ignorance is a stressful moment. And this is <coughs> excuse me, what we're to recognize. But also in this moment, it's not just a recognition that, okay, this is stress arising. I can feel a reaction in me. I can feel the grasping after or the aversion. But it's the full process of that. I understand stress. I understand that the stress I'm feeling in this moment is impermanent. And once I take a breath, it will likely pass. And the way to maintain that to its culmination, to profound understanding of these four noble truths, is through the Eightfold Path. And that is what frames my mind in this moment. So if in this moment I find myself rooted in a in an ignorant moment, I also have the inner poise to recognize, but I have this path. And it's this path that will, that will allow me to extricate myself from this stress. And this is the Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of stress. In this way, one remains mindful of the quality of mind in and of itself, internally and externally. There's nothing else occurring except just this. And that line internally and externally is so important because it means that I'm no longer throwing my mind out there and trying to establish myself in literally in, a, in the, you know, the cloud is, is part of our lives now, trying to establish myself in this cloud of my life. It's a fabrication. It, it, the, the, a good wind blows it away. Why do I keep doing it? Because it's all that I know, except now I know something different. Now I know I don't have to fabricate itself. Now I know I must not fabricate itself if I'm to if I'm to establish and maintain a calm and peaceful mind, because my life is a reflection of what I hold in mind. And if I hold in mind what the Satipatthana Sutta teaches us, beginning in concentration, then recognizing that there's something called these five hindrances that could take me out of my mind, and there's a vehicle known as the five clinging aggregates that describes suffering, I can understand it in that way, I'm having this experience of it, and I can cultivate other qualities to, to, to use the word I used before, to extricate myself of what I've put myself in. This is another fine mess you've got me into. We're doing it to ourselves though, it's not Ollie, it's me, I'm doing it. But the great power is I understand it now, I can, I can get myself out of it with one thought. And what's that thought? Becky, coming back from vacation, would you lose? Just kidding. What's the one thought that gets us out of all of it? 
Take a breath. Take a breath. Take a breath. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. And that's instant satisfaction in this moment too, isn't it? If you can do it. And we can all do it. In this way, one remains mindful of the quality of mind in and of itself. It's all that's occurring, internally and externally. One remains mindful of the phenomena of the origination of the qualities of mind and, the arising and, the, and their arising and passing away. Every thought arises and passes away. Every thought we've ever had about ourselves in relation to the world is an impermanent thought. Everything in the world is impermanent. It's reflected in our thoughts. It's reflected in our breath. It's reflected in a calm and peaceful mind. Because that mind is supple enough to pass from one moment to the next without grasping at what's arising. That's liberation. That's maintaining a quality of mind in and of itself. There's nothing else that's attached to that mind or affecting that mind. This is how one remains mindful of the four noble truths in and of, in and of themselves. By remaining mindful of the mind in and of itself, remember how the, the seven factors of awakening began with being mindful of the present quality of mind, which is another way of saying be mindful that there is a mind, that you have a mind. It's your vehicle for liberation. It's your vehicle for meaning. It's your vehicle. It's your vehicle. It's what we have. What we take through our entire life from birth to death is this one thing. This self-reflected vehicle known as our mind or consciousness. This is how we establish ourselves in the world. This is how we live in the world. This is how we walk through the world. This is how we do everything in the world. Rests on the quality of our mind. What we hold in mind will determine the, the, each and every moment of our existence. But the good thing Maybe, you know, the good news about that is we don't have to hold this moment in mind. We just have to develop the method so that we can be naturally present. Jhana meditation. And then holding in mind the other seven factors of the Eightfold, of the, of, of the Satipatthana Sutta, of awakening, leading to these four noble truths, which always resolve in this one thing. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. And in that way, we're maintaining... This quality of mind in and of itself. This is not me. This is not mine. What would I make and be? This is me. This is mine. This is what I am in the world. I need this. I need that. I need this relationship. I need those new, what's the famous, Oakley glasses. Are they still famous? I don't even know. <laughs> I need the next right thing. I need the right clothes or the right person or the right relationship or the right dog or the right everything. The right meditation practice. You know, whatever one that happens to be the most famous this, this week. Or I can just recognize life is always just this. Just this. It's what's occurring. And it's never any grander than that. But it's never any more mediocre than this moment. Each and every moment is meaningful because I'm having this moment. I'm here for it. This is how one remains mindful of the four noble truths in and of themselves. Now, the Buddha concludes this most important sutta by telling us, giving us a guarantee of what we can expect. Now, if anyone develops these four foundations of mindfulness in this manner, as presented, for seven years, one could expect their complete 
either their complete understanding here and now, in this lifetime, or if there is any clinging and maintaining remaining, remember dependent origination, than in this present life. If even after seven years of diligent practice, there's still a little bit of ignorance left, the Buddha is saying, just keep going a little bit longer. Don't give up. Maintain right effort. And then he says, let alone seven years, if anyone perfectly develops these four foundations of mindfulness in this same manner for six, or five, or four, or three, or two, or one year, for six months, or three months, for one month, for two weeks or just seven days. For seven days, one could expect either complete understanding here and now, or if there is any clinging and maintaining and remaining in this present life. In this present life. And the Buddha reiterated that over and over again. Excuse me. I never ever heard that until I turned to the suttas. Because all that I heard was that Awakening is impossible in this lifetime and it's not likely for endless eons. But go ahead and keep doing it. And I hated that thought and I hated what people were telling me that I would just have to do this, this, um, what, what was really becoming an aspect of drudgery, something I had to do to get to a point. And it, and it was just as, boy, new words, it was just as drudgmental. How's that for a new word? As anything else I've ever done. And it was supposed to be a liberating path, but all that I felt was this building drudgmentalism. Two new words today. <laughs> and I wouldn't give it up because I was so associated and deeply embedded, deeply, um, what's the right word? I got to make up a whole new word again. I can't go for three words in a day, no. Um, I, I had a vested interest in continuing, we all do, just because of the momentum behind what I decided was me. And that's, that's tremendous momentum, isn't it? We live our lives behind that momentum of this is me, this is mine, I need more. I need to keep establishing myself. I hope nobody notices that there's something wrong. This is not me, this is not mine. This is the cause of my stress, of being something and insisting that I be something other than I am or that I can be something other than what I am, such as a magical, mystical self endless eons from now. Or somebody who is just compensating for the, all the things they think is wrong with them by their spiritual practice. God loves me. It's okay that I'm such a mess. Those are such pernicious and hurtful thoughts that it's almost impossible to extricate yourself. But the Dhamma can give us that way. It can give us that view to recognize in all cases, this is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I'm about. The Buddha says then, Friends, this is the direct path for the purification of all beings. It's an interesting line that I've pondered greatly, I've thought about often. Why is the Buddha ins insisting on reminding us that this is a direct path as opposed to what? An indirect or an ignoble path. This is the direct path. He's saying, if you want to awaken, this is the one that will get you there the quickest. He's not saying it's the only one, is he? But he also has taught us, because we've listened to him now, again, putting us back in the setting of the original Sangha, we know the Buddha's story. We know the six years that he um, 
I, I want to say wasted, but not, it's not the right word. That he practiced and abandoned those practices as not leading to his goal. And then finally settling, settling on this because it's the direct path. Why waste time on paths that won't get us there? They're indirect. They're, they're, they're distractions. And if we are following the Buddha's Dhamma, they're all a distraction. This is, this is the direct path for the cessation of sorrow and regret. It's no longer present in your life. Imagine having a life with no sorrow or no regret. For the disappearance of pain and distress, for, the, for establishing the right method of practice. Again, the Buddha is saying, this is the right way to do this. And he's not, he's not implying wrongness in any way. He's not saying that all those other people that are out there not doing this are all fools. He's saying, if you come to the Dhamma and don't practice the Dhamma, you're a fool. Because now you know better. But again, you're a fool only as far as you think you can adapt the Dhamma to fix your own views. That's a foolish person. Again, we're not fools just because we're, we're ignorant of Four Noble Truths, but we're fools in the Dhamma if we think we can adapt or accommodate it or embellish it in any way. For the establishing the right method of practice and for complete unbinding. In other words, these four foundations of mindfulness. All comes back to concentration, isn't it? It all rests on concentration that, that can hold in mind the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path. For complete unbinding, not just a little bit unbinding, not just, not just spending a life massaging our ignorance from one thing to another idea to another idea to another distraction. For complete unbinding, this is the path to desert. This is what the Buddha said, hearing these words, those assembled were gratified and delighted. That's the end of the Satipatthana Sutta. What a sutta. Right, Brian? It was lovely, yes. Um, I, I really do appreciate how this was uh, broken up this time around. It really, it really helped clarify the the importance of the quality of mind yeah. and that, that that's a, an ongoing ever diligent effort to maintain the the awareness and the mindfulness of what's happening and what's arising and passing away and just yeah. understanding what it is and what it isn't yep and uh this this just the way this was chunked up this time really really iterated that so thank you yeah thank you man i like that chunked up yeah this it, it, this is it you know this is what we do Good morning, Deb. Hello, Deb. Yeah, he's trying to get on. Deb or Deb? Deb. Deborah. Can Can you hear me? Yeah, there you are. Good morning, Deb. (laughs) Sorry about that. Good morning, everybody. Doing well, keeping at it. Good. I I have, this week I've noticed a sense of peacefulness. I was like, hey. That's, isn't it, I always say it's worth the price of admission, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's what it's all about. Uh, thank you, Deb. 
Good morning, Mary. Good morning, everyone. Um, I like what Brian had to say that we're really um, able to target on the quality of mind. And it occurred to me that, um, you know, that only comes through the ability to um, concentrate and notice um, what's happening and um, and noticing what, you know, the quality of your mind is. And that's the difference in this practice between understanding this intellectually and doing the work on the cushion in order to improve your concentration. Because you can still be in a situation that the quality of your mind gets winged out and maybe, you know, tensions rise or whatever. And you may still be recognizing it like you would have before you came to the practice, right? Oh, pressure seems high. Everybody seems out of whack. But the difference is understanding my mind is not calm. I'm not experiencing yeah. equanimity. <coughs> I think we lost. You know, and, and, you know, and, and recognizing that. But it comes back to the practice, I guess, is my point, is that without the sits and the concentration and and a focus on jhana, you're, you might be living your life a little better because of the practice, but you're, it, it's not a noble seeking of the of the path. It's it's different. And yeah. and we have seen that where people come to the practice and then and they're struggling and they're maybe getting caught up in words or whatever. And it yeah. may be because they're not working on their concentration enough. Um, so it's so important. So um, it can't be underscored enough. It's just something that has to be done twice a day. Um, yeah. Focusing on your concentration. So thank you, John. Well said, Mary. Yeah, it, it, and this is this is what we do. And it, again, it it's surprising to me now, and I have just as much of a difficulty as everyone else beginning a meditation practice. But now, when I think about what we're doing, is we're asking adult people to sit quietly and breathe for a few minutes, and yet we have so much trouble just doing that. And isn't that interesting that we can't? You know, you can understand a child not being able to do that. They're, they're probably not supposed to to a certain age anyway, but that we're adults and we can't just sit quietly. We have to have something going on internally. That's distraction. So this is also a good reminder that at any point, any moment in our life, we can just check in on the quality of our mind. What is it? You know, take a breath. Am I agitated or am I calm? And if you find that you're agitated or distracted, take another breath. Unite your mind and your body. And that becomes our, our constant practice. It's just being quiet with our breath. I think many of you that have been meditating, even probably just for a couple of weeks, will find yourself when you are just, you sit down and you're just being quiet, you'll find yourself being mindful of your breath naturally. Yes or no? Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and again, that, that's part of your practice. And that, that it just shows that your, your concentration is naturally increasing because there it is. You know, it's just there when you're, when you're quiet enough to recognize it. It's just present. What's the quality of your mind? What's the quality of my mind in this moment? And if it's wonderful, it's wonderful. If it's not, again, take another breath. Remind yourself, that's why you're doing this practice. So you gain control of your mind. So you establish these, these seven factors of awakening. 
through understanding you know, that we're doing it ourselves. Dr. Kevin. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Thanks, everybody, for your comments. Just like great. You know, I just just keep picturing um, the Buddha presenting this, and you know, he did it in probably one fell swoop, and it was gratifying to everyone. It's it's still gratifying to us, and uh, we're fortunate, John, that you have brought it back to us as our teacher, so we can really fully as I'm hearing people are doing so thank you so much yeah, thank you Kevin I mean isn't it remarkable again I, it's never lost on me that we're we're listening to the words of this Buddha from this guy from 2600 years ago and they're, they're just so relevant and effective today so thank you Kevin uh Dhamma teacher Tom that's you yeah hi Beth uh, thanks, John, for the teaching. Hello, everyone. Um, good to be on a Saturday after a few weeks uh, while I was away. Um, yeah, I, um, I don't have anything too specific to, to share on the teaching itself. Um, other than, um, it, it, it just, I guess, got me thinking about, you know, having been on retreat and then you get back into the, the real world and, um, it's it's looking at how you can set up your life in such a way that it makes it as easy as you know or easier than otherwise yeah. right to actually um you, you know get in these states of, of refined um mindfulness so you know that's the challenge when you come out of retreat because you're suddenly in a busy world again and and, and everything is um you know demanding your attention supposedly um, and so related to that, I have a, <laughs> um, I, it, it was actually from the book Stolen Focus, John, which I know a number of people, um, have read in the Sangha and I read it. And, and in one of the final chapters, he gives some practical tips on how to, um, sort of avoid distraction in your life. And one of them was to buy a lock for your phone. Um, and, um, it's like a, a little case that you can put your, and, um, I actually bought one about, uh, one or two weeks ago, um, wow. and it's been quite effective. So I promise I'm not on commission. Okay. But <laughs> it, here it is. And it's yeah. like a, um, you basically put your phone inside here yeah. and then you, and then you just, you set a timer for how long you don't want to look at your phone for. And then it basically, it physically won't open for that time. Um, and um, it's actually been, awesome. it's like a locker for your phone, basically. Um, and anyway, it's just a, a little practical thing, which I found quite helpful because I've woken up a few times this week and I've been like, ah, oh, you know, the instinct is to check your phone. Yeah. And suddenly, like, oh, I can't because I took I took a decision several hours ago not to be able to look at my phone at this time. So anyway, I just thought I'd share that in case that's yeah. helpful for anyone else that's like, worried about how their phone can sort of interrupt or, or, or keep them distracted. Um, and I just found that a little practical um, thing, which is so far, so far, so good. Yeah. Um, I think and, you should uh, let, yeah. let Johan Hari know about it. There you go. The author of the yeah. Book. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tom. That's great. Matteo, good morning.
I have a better solution. I come back to old-fashioned phone. <laughs> if you come back to old-fashioned phone, you don't have to buy another stuff. That is, it's very big, that stuff, to carry around. So how can you do that? <laughs> I do that. There is no more internet here. No more distraction. Matteo wins. Matteo wins. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait to hear what I do with my phone. I make Bodhi answer it. And no, about the sutra, what I can say, like, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the best sutra. I mean, like, it's a kind of great summary yeah. to all the core teachings. So, do to like repeat and repeat. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, John. Yeah. Thanks, Matteo. Good morning, Becky. Good morning. So nice to Becky's be on back. the camera. Yeah. Like I said, when I came in, I listened to the first two teachings. Um, in this Satipatthana Sutta series. And I just can't wait to listen to the rest because it's really, um, after the retreat, helped me to really come back to what I feel is a stronger establishment of my practice. Before the retreat, I was having a little bit of trouble meditating, and I wasn't really putting forth the right effort, and the retreat turned everything around. The retreat was wonderful. I came back the next day, you know, I meditated, and after I meditated, Jen called, and we were talking about the retreat, and I said, my God, I feel like I've awakened. (laughs) (laughs) Was, and then you have. It was really, it was really uh, encouraging to experience that quality of mind. Yeah. But um, you know, now you're back. Everything that that Mary said, I was taking to heart because it's important to keep going with the jhana meditation, and I was, for the first time in my life, when I was on vacation. I meditated regularly, almost. Good for you. But normally, on vacation, I would not meditate. But still, today, listening to this, what really hit me, how many times have I heard, be aware of your quality of mind? And this time, I finally understood what that means. And I wrote down, be aware of your quality of mind, all caps, Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that's, I really get that now. So thank you, John. Thank you, everyone. And I only have one more thing to say. And that is that I thought the conversation you had at the end of last Saturday's class, where you introduced a new topic that has to do with wind, was very interesting. Or maybe it was Tuesday's class. Oh, that one. That was actually. Dustin right here. It was. That was uh, Saturday. Yeah, Last Dust, Saturday. Dustin. Oh, the wind, yeah. the wind yeah. property. Yeah. The wind, yeah. the wind, wind property. Wind property. I just want to say. I just want to say. I'm sorry. I missed that. We did have a lot of fun with the wind property. And the various aspects that it can manifest in the world.
My father was good at that, too. <laughs> I had a dog that was really good. <laughs> Thank you, Becky. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, John. Uh, morning, everybody. Um, on the lines of what you're saying about how this, these teachings from 2,600 years ago are just as uh, uh, vibrant today, um, I was thinking of the last part of the sutta where he's talking about in, you know, in, if in, in seven years, uh, you may get a complete understanding. If you don't, just keep on going. In seven days, you may achieve complete understanding. If you don't, just keep on going. Yeah. And it's remarkable that the Buddhas recognize that everybody has a different um, way of, yeah. of taking up the Dhamma and, and their practice. Um, and everyone works at a different pace, and everyone is different. And there's not like a, a um, you have to do thing do this one way. Um, yeah, or that there's a set time period. Exactly. Like he could have said, yeah. hey, if you do this for just, you know, this is just a 16-week course and you're guaranteed awakening. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I find that very refreshing because, and, and reassuring because like you, John, I, it was always like, a, you know, 12,000 lifetimes maybe you'll get there. You probably yeah. won't though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was right, it's so defeating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I find it very, very reassuring mm. and it gives I, me I very paid sure. all this tuition for that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it makes it, makes John Pax is very solid to me. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, John. Yeah, like Adam was saying, otherwise it's just another form of some salvific almost. Self-flagellation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just waiting for something to happen. But I've been really struggling. Um, I mean, after retreat, it was great, but I've been really struggling even despite meditation lately with uh, just letting, I mean, I'm aware of the quality of my mind and that it's, you know, when it's, um, I have a keener understanding of when it's like, you know, when I'm out of my mind and out of whack, but how do you, what is Dhamma practice exactly telling us to, not telling us to do, but I guess it's the difference between like, impermanence and letting go versus just forgiving and forgetting and just being passive and like right now I just have so much not so much going on but just like some family members that have some health problems at home and not to go into detail but like it's just so hard just to sit back and when I know I'm right and like <laughs> like I want to give them this advice and I I think that it's really good advice and like it's coming from a place of wanting to help them but they don't want to hear it like mm. then things escalate things get out of control and it's like so I'm just supposed to stand back and do nothing and just meditate and be silent and I well you can understand like, so it though too <laughs> it's not yeah it's not just that it's not it's not just this grim acceptance because you, yeah. you can't do anything but it's also understanding that other people are making decisions based on whatever their frame of reference is, but they're making their decisions based on what they think is best for themselves. And they're entitled to that, to, to the decision, and they're entitled to the results of that decision. Um, an aspect of right speech is that knowing what you're about to say to someone, even if it's altruistic, that it will actually be taken in the way you intend it to be. And if you know that it won't be, then it's right speech to hold your tongue. So that is noble silence. That's what noble silence means, is knowing when it's, 
time to yeah. not speak. That's what, that's what makes it noble. And the reason why it's, it's described in that way is it, also, it relates directly to the noble truths, but it's also a noble way of living in the world. Knowing that what you're about to say is, is going to fall on deaf ears, if you say it, it can only, at best, lead to agitation for the other person and for you. So it, again, excuse all the words, but it's understanding that, it, 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 but it shouldn't be a grim understanding. It's just, there's nothing I can do here. So let me allow myself to be free of the need for this to be any different mm-hmm. in this other person, especially if it's a loved one, but it's also much difficult when it's a loved one yeah. because, you know, why shouldn't they listen to you? But <laughs> yeah, right. it, it's the same, it's the same thing though. They, they've decided, you know, they're doing what's best for them. And so the only thing you can really do in that situation is to just to be present. Um, and, true. and as people know that, that, well, yeah, that they're, that just that you're the, if it's a loved one, they take comfort in you just being there. Mm-hmm. And so don't, don't add, don't bring discomfort into the fact that they're taking comfort from your presence. Do you understand? Yeah. We, we can, we, we can, um, Oftentimes, the most loving thing that we can do is to just be present for someone and and not reflect that we think we're they're doing something wrong because that's it, never helpful. It just isn't, yeah. even if it's right. You know, um, I had a my my uncle Jaime was his name. Uh, he, he lived next door. He's like a second father to me, mm-hmm. and he smoked himself to death. And I remember when I was a little kid, when I first well, I was ten, I think eleven. <clears throat> There was a time when I was begging him to stop smoking and the poor guy just couldn't stop. He just couldn't. And he got, you know, he yelled at me. He's, you know, leave me to, and he, Uncle High was not averse to using interesting words that up until that time I never heard before. Uh, and, and, I mean, and at the time it hurt me, but, you know, and I, I had to think about it because he never did anything else that ever hurt me and he was always just a really good guy. But, what I, you know, I was asking him to do something that was impossible for him, and he wanted to do it for me because I was asking him. I, w- I put this poor man in an impossible spot while he's dying from what he's doing to himself. Mm-hmm. So again, it looked like this little kid was being just wonderful. He loves his uncle, and he wants his, you know, but it wasn't. It really wasn't. I didn't know any better as a kid, you know. But right. you know, so no, there's the here's the answer. Yeah. Sorry for the long answer, but no, I see the difference better now. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of um, power and energy in knowing when to hold our tongue as well because we're not wasting energy. So. Wise restraint. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing it up, Laura. Yeah. Dhamma teacher Ram. Um, yeah, part of that is also um, understanding how much of your your identifications you bring into that you have certain knowledge and when you and and you know that knowledge is is valid and solid and when you see people that need that knowledge not accept it that's that's an affront to to you yeah Yeah, exactly that's how i feel if you if you can get that part out of it yeah, I need understand to that part, but what what you what what that part of your identity brings into it, you know, you can recognize that and and let it go. 
now you are no longer invested in the situation and and it mm. at that point you can be, be silent and 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 let uh, let those make their own decisions you know yeah um, so there's a yeah, it's that piece, you're right, because like, mm -hmm. I'm fine up until then, like, this is knowledge, this is valid, like, mm -hmm. I read this somewhere, I think this would, but then the right. ego starts to think, yeah. and then they Why don't the accept this, like, valid knowledge, yeah. 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 yeah, it's yeah. like such so a So there, there's your conflict, and there, there's agitation, yeah. and uh, now it starts bouncing back, you know, from, from the others, um, and... Uh, well, you got to, the beginning to of a war. Yeah, to understand yeah. your your... Your contribution to this uh, to this conflict is is uh, is key. Yeah, I I, I went through something like that, Laura, um, mm -hmm. for many years, and it finally, after coming to the Dhamma, um, I was able to do what Ram just suggested, and it's very. Um, freeing when you're able to do that, when you're able to take I just thought if I just kept pushing and doing all the things that I'm supposed to do, mm -hmm. that I could I could make everybody be happy and control the situation. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't have the job, I didn't have anything, so I just pushed through. <laughs> but um, then I learned Things did not end well, and then I learned by coming here that what I was doing was wrong, and that there were I didn't there wasn't anything I had to do. Mm. That it wasn't my responsibility, mm. and I just let that ego piece calm down. And, and you didn't need to change the situation in order to have peace for yourself. And I needed mm. to change it. Yes. Mm that I could never have peace, even though it was over, yeah. Yeah. if I didn't change it for myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the, the ground for all the, all the nagging behavior in the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. you're right, you know, why don't they listen to me? Yeah. 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 And you just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep right. going. It's until, like hitting your head against a wall. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. the result is always that you're not being hurt. And, yeah, they, and the, they can't, the result, they can't hear it, you, they can't hear you yeah, and you it's know, going to end bad for you. You can still be right and not be heard. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, John. Me Nobody too. listens to me. <laughs> and it's probably a good thing that they don't. No, I, 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 you know, the... They, they, the the truth of the matter is I'm glad nobody listens. To, I'm glad I know that nobody <laughs> listens to me because now I don't have to bother talking to them. <laughs> I'm a teacher, Jen. Thank you, Ron. I'm reminded of um, uh, a little story that Reverend Park told me about. Oh, this is going to be great. Um, Reverend Park. About his, one of the ministers that also works or also is at uh, Juan Dharma Center, and uh, Reverend Park thinks there should be some trees around some of the buildings, it's a great story. and the other minister mm -hmm. thinks that it should all stay open, and that is two different perspectives, and if either person has fear or anger and they're and they're 
communicating from that space, then nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. Then it's, it's, it's wrong action is how he explained it. So mm-hmm. in order to um, clearly and directly and effectively communicate with other people, we have to first honor that my perspective and your perspective are going to are, are different mm-hmm. and yeah. that is doesn't need to change in order for us to yeah. be in harmony yeah. mm. we're just living in the world yes. Tom and I had a discussion just like that <laughs> yesterday right Tom uh, yes <laughs> the only difference was that I, I was right <laughs> Good morning, Donna, right. Teacher David. Oh, yeah, we, we, we don't have time for you now, Tom. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, David. And think about what Jen said and what this 30, 35 course that we're in is about Jana. He started off with. An explanation of the jhana meditation practice and then we just completed this on mindfulness and then everything else is about jhana look at look at the the suttas coming up the next sutta is the jhana sutta again for references and it's just that does not happen by accident to see two perspectives mm, yeah. it does not happen by a casual Mindfulness, right. or a casual mm. grasp of concentration. It's a deepening of your concentration by right effort. And at the retreat, John spoke of the world, my world. And my world was at retreat, and my world was the second I left retreat. And this course is about the deepening absorption and building of that ability to have right mindfulness mm-hmm. which is why those two men were able to see each other and not have stress yeah. so thank you David mm-hmm. and by the way Reverend Park won that argument I'm sure he did she's <laughs> <laughs> all over the place as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an ad a little aside on my review of the tr- retreat mm-hmm. that we filled out last night I said it would be nice if the grounds had a few more trees <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure one of those guys threw it in the other's face. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> All right. So hey, we're gonna... John, John yes, can yes. you move the mug? I can't see David's cute face. Oh. Okay. Well, no, I see the mug better. Thank you. <laughs> the mug. You need David, to move the mug. David's oh. hiding behind your mug. Oh, <laughs> Hi, David. Hello. He literally just like, David just appeared from behind the mug. (laughs) (laughs) You just put it back exactly in front of him. That's how you stop people from talking. That's that's called canceling David. (laughs) All right, another another great class. We're going to continue this. so all of you now have developed that, that here today have developed jhana to the point where you can start recognizing these deepening levels of absorption that David just mentioned. 
And that's really kind of the point, is to notice that your jhana practice uh, is deepening, your concentration is deepening. Notice when you take it off your cushion and you're able to recognize in this moment, I am mindful of uh, concentration or serenity or um, you know, any other factor of the seven factors of awakening. Um, or just in this moment, this is stress, this is the origination of stress, this is the cessation all in one breath, and knowing that that all takes place within the framework of our wonderful Eightfold Path. So we'll finish with Metta as we always do. <coughs> Is there any other questions or comments on today's class? Okay, we'll finish with Metta. So these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And just take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. In the Buddha's words. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Thank you, John. Peace, everyone. Thank you, John. See you all soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, John. Have a good weekend, everyone. Bye. Bye. See you, Ryan. See you, Kevin. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.